This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, I'm Matt Chorley, and this is Politics Without the Boring Bits. This week bringing you some of the best stuff that you might have missed this year. Now, very few people in Westminster have had as many lunches as the Sunday Times' chief political commentator, Tim Shipman. So, I sat down with Tim for three courses with drinks at a lovely steak restaurant near our office to find out how to get the scoops over the soups. If, if we get to six questions with that reference to Boris Johnson, um, I will buy a very expensive dinner. It's that because we're the party of working people. Yeah. And what does it say about him and his party that they won't do the same? Winner, winner, surely dinner. There we go. Yeah, well, I'm delighted, actually. It's time we had dinner. It's time we had dinner. I feel, yes. Hello. We've got a table for two, but for Matt Chorley, 1.30. Yes, Cindy. Um, you lead the way. I think, I think a booze is that. Let's take yeah. a booze. Yeah. Perfect, thank you. I'll have it with that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, right, we've got the menu. Are we doing wine or food first? Where is the you normally get something on the go, don't you? Yeah, I think we should. We want to start, start with a drink. I think if you had a politician, you'd loosen their tongue a little. How often now do you get a politician who, who might start with a, a livener, an aperitif? I think it depends when you're doing it. If it's lunch, almost never these days. Um, most people are, uh, well, you could say dull or you could say professional and then drinking at lunchtime um, when I started out in the lobby in 2001 I think most people drank most of the time um, I think almost nobody drinks at lunchtime now and there are even some journalists that don't as well I'm told um, if it's a dinner and you've specifically booked a dinner with say a cabinet minister they'll often arrive late usually because they've had a terribly busy and important day running the country and they quite often do want to uh, let their hair down a little bit um, so you're more likely to be able to entice them into a into a libation but the days of Sunday journalists particularly used to have lengthy lunches on a Tuesday and a Wednesday 
and there, you know, there was such a thing in those days as a three bottler. Um, what between two people? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now I can't remember the last time I had a three bottler. I remember. Uh, I'm going to do my Ken Clark story this early. Uh, I was at the Independent on Sunday. And I was really hung over for some reason. Maybe because I'd had a three bottle of someone else the night before. And I saw that I was Ken, lunch with Ken Clark, that's fine. And so I went to the restaurant, Rue, very posh restaurant just off. Um, yeah. uh, part of it's shut, isn't it? It has, it has shut, shut down, yeah. yeah. But it was very expensive. COVID, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Ken Clark was late. And I got a call from his office saying he was insisted on walking. Because he didn't want anyone to know where he was, so he didn't have a car. So obviously, pick one of the most prominent restaurants, yeah, 100 exactly. yards from there. Uh, and he turned up, and without even sitting down, I think ordered gin and tonics for us both. And uh, I think we had a nice bottle of wine, and uh, that we maybe even had something afterwards. I very agree with it was too. And I basically spent the whole time. Cause I was quite young at that point. I spent the whole time thinking, I'm having lunch with Ken Clark. He didn't really tell me he had anything of a great interest. He sort of, he wouldn't, because the beauty of Ken is anything he thought, he'd already said in public many times over. He wasn't, there wasn't a huge amount he'd say off the record that he wasn't willing to say on the record. But there's an element, particularly when you're starting out, of sort of political tourism. It's nice yeah. to meet these people. I remember going to see Nigel Lawson, Michael Heseltine, who'd been these sort of giant figures in my youth, and just hearing the old stories was enough. Yeah. I'm sorry, having water at it. Can we order some drinks, please? Yeah, thank you. Can I get a Bloody Mary, then? Bloody Mary, how spicy do I? Sort of medium. Yeah. Uh, just, just for the sake of... Um, let's have a pink Gibson. That's vodka, vodka gin and a pickled onion. There we go. Great. That sounds good. Perfect. Just to ask, is there any allergies I should be aware of? No, no, not at all. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, in terms of sharpness, the one that sticks in my mind is a serving member of the Shadow Cabinet who arrived before I did for, I think it was a 12 o'clock lunch, it was an early one, it was, it was not like halfway through the afternoon, and I arrived to discover her halfway down what was very clearly a large gin and tonic. I've had quite a morning, um, and uh, yeah, she should probably remain nameless. I think some people will think, this is all a bit ostentatious, partly us having this lunch, this isn't out of the ordinary for, for political journalists, but everyone else is worried about the cost of living. And uh, we're troughing, and politicians are troughing. Why, why can politicians spare the time? Why should they spare the time? And why does it need to be done over lunch and not a cup of tea or in an office somewhere having a normal meeting like normal people? Well, I would say increasingly it is. Um, it's increasingly a coffee or pop into the department for half an hour. A lot of lunches get cancelled because business gets in the way, which is why if you want to have a really deep dive, you probably ought to go for a dinner. But, you know, politicians and journalists kind of coexist in the same space. Um, we need their stories and they need our publicity. And doing it over lunch is a way of getting to know each other a bit better, maybe establishing some trust, swapping some stories that aren't necessarily kind of massively important to the future of the country, but um, help grease the wheels of, um, you know, frankly, everybody likes to have a bit of a gossip. Um, it's quite helpful to cabinet ministers to hear from journalists who've been around a bit about how things are playing, how things are landing. They don't always get told the truth by their own special advisors or by their own whips. You know, sometimes we can, it's a two-way process. You can be of some use um, to them. And, um, you know, by getting to know a politician and getting to hear them sort of in a more relaxed atmosphere, you kind of um, can develop the kind of relationship that has mutual benefits going forward. And, you know, some people treat lunch like they treat other things, like a press conference. Some journalists come in and start out and get a few contacts. 
here, pick up one bit of salacious gossip and immediately shot out and tweet it and go to, you know, put it online and others build relationships and try to sort of, um, you know, build a long-term rapport with someone where you're more likely to get the goodies in due course. Um, I've sort of always tried to do it the latter way and I think most, certainly paper journalists on Sunday papers would play the longer game. Oh, well, our drinks have arrived. Look at that. There we go. Thank, Thank you very, very much. much. I was sure about the pickled onions, but cheers, Tim. Well, you've got celery and a tomato, and I've got a couple of pickled onions. Yeah, the celery is uh, oh, that's, well, that's rather good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's hit the spot. Lovely. But you and I arrived together. It was often in the olden days when people drank too much at lunch. I think. Um, a tendency for certain MPs to arrive early for their lunch. I remember Michael Fallon, the former Defence Secretary, used to lunch with David Ruffley. They, when they went hunted as a pack, you would sort of say one o'clock and you'd get there 10, 15 minutes early knowing what they were like and they'd already be sitting there. <laughs> There'd already be a bottle of wine on the table and you were already paying for it. And um, That's interesting. let's put it this way. They didn't respect the expenses limit. That's interesting. Two MPs lunching together because somebody's just uh, grinding up some ice in the background. Um, lots of people won't know this, but it's quite normal for journalists to lunch together. So two journalists and one MP. Yeah. Well, I, you know, for a long time I used to lunch with Chris Mason. So now Chris goes to the BBC. I was at Mail Online. He was at the BBC. So a minister would think, well, I've got. For an hour's lunch, I can hit the BBC in Mail Online or the BBC in The Times. Two for the price of one. Two for the price of one. It's good. Uh, you know, there would be some people who want to lunch with me and some people want to lunch with Chris. And so we'd sort of double up and that worked quite well. But for two MPs just to be out troughing, presumably at that point as well, sort of backbench MPs. They were well. both backbenchers and, and quite a lot of what they were good at was speculating about what, what might happen in the next reshuffle. And uh, if you go back and look at sort of uh, Google or LexisNexis or the reshuffle stories written between about 2001 and about 2010, almost all of them included a promotion for Michael Fallon and or David Ruffin, <laughs> which was the least you could do slightly, after they'd given you half a dozen other stories. Slightly more successfully for Michael Fallon than Indeed. David Ruffin. Yeah, yes. Um, so let's, let's have a look at the food. Starters. We're... we're, we're these days, when I've been out with politicians, they even try to skip starters. I, I always check, do you have time for two? Yeah. Um, the real connoisseurs will say, well, let's do a main and a put. Yeah. Um, but yes, the starter is, it's often a quick one-courser. Um, what, what are we doing today? Start, are we doing starters? Uh, I will be led by you, Matthew. I'm happy to do starters, is what we're here for. Let's do it then. Yeah, we're good. I think we're probably ready to order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll have the crab on toast, please. Yeah. Uh, I'll have a, I'll have the scallops, please. Uh, and I, I decided I was going to have a steak without actually deciding which steak. I will go ribeye, medium rare, with the eggs and the peppercorn, please. Me? Oh, I mean, I literally. I'll go. Have you had the ribeye? I'll have the sirloin. Sirloin. Yeah. Please, medium rare. I won't have the two fried eggs. I'll, yeah, I'll have. I'll go. But yeah, let's go Bernays. Yeah, nice. What do we need the size? Size is a good question. I'll have a spinach, please. Cream spinach or spinach on the go? Cream spinach, please. And I will have some beef dripping fries. Beef dripping fries. Mash and gravy for me, please. Perfect. 
Thank you very much. So the choice of restaurant was mainly mainly this was chosen because it's a nice steak restaurant, not far far from uh, Times Radio Towers. But how do you go about choosing the restaurant? Well, it depends on what your guest wants. Some of them are like, oh, there's a vote at three o'clock, we need to be in the House of Commons. Um, So they might take you to the the terrace or to uh, the members' dining room or the strangers' dining room. Or there's a place called the German Inn at Portcullis House, as you know, which uh, is a bit more of a cantini type thing. As a Sunday hack and someone who is often doing interviews for books and that sort of thing, people quite often like to be off the reservation and most people in Westminster are extremely lazy so if you get much further than Trafalgar Square in one direction or Melbank Tower in the other you're not going to run into sort of passing the trade anything that involves jumping in a cab for five minutes is going to put off uh, most people so this is because what what someone doesn't want is they're a cabinet minister your well-known face, key face around Westminster, you might say. So if a cabinet minister is seen with Tim Shipman on Wednesday, and in the big read in the Sunday Times for the weekend, a cabinet minister says, Rishi Sunak is useless and he's got to go, there's at least half a chance that someone might have spotted him and put two or two together. Correct. Yeah. I tend to find off-the-beaten-track places, and if you can find nice restaurants that sort of have a nice wine list that you might be able to cake someone out with, um, um, I'm in a uh, member of a club as well, which occasionally I take people to, which um, uh, up in Soho that makes you know, gets people out of town. I remember on the subject of restaurants. I remember once inviting James Walton, as he then was, is now Lord Walton, of, of course. course. They all are, aren't they? He was a he was a minister. I must have been in the Cameron government, I think. And uh, he'd invite him for lunch. His office sent me an email, I think, saying. The minister needs to be near the house, so he thought he might like to go to Rue, which, as we've discussed, a very expensive restaurant just across Parliament Square. I mean, really quite expensive, and not really middle-ranking. Well, in fact, probably even junior minister of the department. Yeah, that was cabinet minister's only local kind of government. Place. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was much. how I judged. Yeah. yeah, but I said, I'm not really. You know, that seems a bit much of the parliamentary undersecretary for dustbins, whatever he was. So I went back and said, well, you know, actually, we could. Uh, probably go somewhere else. I said, no, the minister's quite insistent that he'd like to go to Rue. And I said, well, if he needs to be near Parliament, I'm happy to go to the adjournment, which is literally on the parliamentary estate. He couldn't be nearer Parliament. No, the minister really would like to go to Rue. I th- I, I'm just trying to think, we either ended up going to the adjournment, or we, we may not have had lunch at all. That All he was trying to get was a lunch at Rue out of us. Well, now he's a member of the House of Lords, um, you know, I'm sure someone will shout, pound, yeah. will shout him a nice lunch. Well, maybe maybe uh, our, our decision not to go there added to the financial woes of Rue, which is why it's not there anymore. Well, maybe because... You know what, turns out a pickled onion soaked in gin and vodka. It's, it's the business, is it? Quite good. <laughs> Have a nibble at my tomato. Thank you. Now oh, the food's arrived. Here we go. Thank you very much. Right then. So I've got my, my crab on toast. I've got my three scallops. Three scallops. A little splash of lemon juice. A nice bit of lemon juice. I think a glass of white with a fish, that sounds, that sounds like a very good idea, yeah. Why don't you pick for us? As long as it, thank you very much. Very good. So at what point, as we dig into the starters, at what point in your lunching do you start fishing for oh, information? The strategy of a lunch. Oh. 
Well, you you would normally, I think, you would spend the first part of you know up the ordering and before anything arrives, small talking. Yeah. I would think what's been going on, who's yeah. been doing what to who, all of that kind of thing. Um, I used to have a sort of catch-all. Tell me what's keeping you busy, or something like that. And that's then an opportunity for them to get off their chest whatever it is they want to get off their chest. If they've got a story to offer, they might wheel it out at that point just to sort of... Some politicians like to sort of... Some of them used to actually say, you know, I always sing for my supper, and they would, um, you know, produce a piece of paper with a policy announcement on it, or if they were being particularly naughty, some kind of write-around document that was nothing to do with their own department... um, that contained a policy they wanted to kill off so they'd pass that to you in the hope that you would ridicule it in your newspaper and then and this is where it sort of helps to have two journalists working together you then start to sort of cross-examine them a bit and try to make it look as casual as possible tossing out sort of well we heard that this is happening or that the Prime Minister is sort of uh, working on this at the moment or is that a good idea what would be the pros and cons of that or have they got some long term thinking that they're looking at that isn't quite ready to to go but that you might think about doing a story on in a few months time you can kind of go dibs you know that's mine you know can we have that when when it's ready yeah Um, but the longer the meal goes on and if you've got anything controversial to sort of ask you know you intend to leave it till the end. Um, you wouldn't want to sour the meal. Um, Warm them up. Yeah. Yeah, that's important. And if it's a dinner, you know, frankly, lubricate them a bit as well. Yeah, well, yeah, I suppose there's an interesting question about alcohol in politics. Yeah, this is delicious, by the way. My, my, my crab, uh, crab on toast, I love it. Um, but the role of alcohol, he says he finishes off his gin and vodka with a pickled onion. Clearly there's a difference between a couple of glasses of wine just to warm things up a bit and get someone a bit more loose-lipped and then we know all the other stories about what goes on with alcohol in politics. It's interesting what you've said about how, and I know this as well, there's much less alcohol in politics than there used to be. But I remember when I was first working in the lobby, I mean, half the lobby was sort of functioning or not functioning alcoholics. They were in the bar at 11 o'clock in the morning, came back at lunchtime and fell off their chairs... We sort of thought it was funny at the time, but on reflection, there were just people whose working lives had ruined them. Well, there's one... I mean, I, I guess we can name him because he's written about it in his book. But Damien McBride, who was um, Gordon Brown's sort of main spin doctor, still on the scene now a little bit. A quite brilliant man, frankly. One of the best spinners I've ever seen in action. And he was, by his own admission, a, a very high-functioning alcoholic for a large part of that period. He was drinking cans of beer at his desk in the morning um, and taking journalists out for considerable amounts of alcohol in, later in the day. Um, Have you ever worried about that, about alcohol? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. No, I mean, I think I've never let it become an issue for me, I don't think. Um, there's all sorts of stresses and strains in Parliament, and I've seen it grab a lot of other people. Um, Thank you very much. But actually, there's quite a sort of thank you slightly parsimonious attitude to everything these days. I'd say people, you know, I'm let's be gentle, but say in my mid forties, um, people who are 10, 15 years younger, um, they don't tend to yeah. see it in the same way. I, don't well, I think, think that's they... probably also the same. He's terrible. They're literally having this conversation just as he's brought over Cheers. two two goblets of uh, a white burgundy. That's very nice. nicely. Very nice with a fishy starter. But you're right, it was seen as a sort of very funny thing back in the day. Um, and it used to be a bit of a tradition where the, the journalists in the sort of daily parliamentary lobby would all sit and have lunch together and it was sort of the done thing to have a yeah. drink then. And the sort of senior journalists, I mean, those days were figures like sort of Trevor Kavanagh and Michael White on The Guardian and um, David Hughes on The Mail. This is, we're talking, you know, 20 odd years ago now. You could learn a lot by sitting and listening to those guys over a glass of wine. Absolutely. Um, And then you'd all sort of get on with your working day. And to a degree, I think that sort of sense of camaraderie has been lost a little bit. Um, Social media means everyone's kind of out for themselves and who can write the quickest or funniest tweet. Um, and it's a bit of a dog-eat-dog world. Um, but it was also a massively more hierarchical kind of place. And, and those kind of social functions, I think, reinforced that rather than breaking through it. So while I sat and learnt a lot, it was a long time before I felt confident enough to sort of break out on my own. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Tim spilt down himself already. Only the starter, and you already spilt. I know, a wee dribble from the, from the scallop has made its way... <laughs> has escaped. Well, we've polished off the starters. They were absolutely delicious. Now just savouring this very nice burgundy. So the steaks are right. There's your eggs, Tim. Two fried eggs on a small plate. Mash and gravy. Cream spinach, lovely. Thank you very much. Peppercorn sauce. Peppercorn. And the Bernays. Bernays. I do have your fries coming. My fries are coming. Thank you. That's. Thank you. you were looking a little bit I know. I was starting to look at scallops that I was having a steak and spinach, and that was the full extent of it. I've got to say, your fried eggs look a little overdone, Tim. Well, they look like... A little um, bit crispy around the edges. Well, we'll give them a chance. But, but with runny yolks. As long so as the yolks break when I... Uh, he's putting his... Uh, for the benefit of listeners, it. he's putting the fried egg on top of his steak. Yeah. There we go. Right, let's get a bit of the Bernays on the go. So in your, your lunch with the minister, you've, you've done the small talk, you've had the starters... You've got them warmed up with some light chit-chat. What's, the, what's the, the meat and potatoes of it? What happens in the main course? Well, I think that's where you sort of cut to the chase. Start asking them about 
stuff you've heard all around Whitehall, what's the government up to, what are they doing, what are they hearing anybody else is doing. Oh. The chips have arrived. arrived. Excuse me, can we get some wine, please? Of course, do you want some red wine? I'll have some red, yeah. So a glass? Yeah, just a glass. Two glasses of red, please. Thank you. You can decide. Some sort of Malbec or something some like that. Some sort of Mal... Yeah, that'd be lovely. So the, the modern journalist, upon hearing something newsworthy, will start whacking it into a Google Doc or notes on their phone. I sort of In think, front of the guest? Yeah, some, some of them do, and I sort of think, oh, it's fine it. if they're deliberately imparting information. But if they're saying something that's sort of a little bit offbeat... I mean, in the old days, one or other of us would look at... You'd sort of exchange eye contact with your lunch partner in a kind of, oh, I think we've got a page to lead there, or that's, that's rather good, isn't it? Should we push a bit harder on that? Or just occasionally they'd sort of say something where you thought an extra question might be might be best not to draw attention to the fact that you're quite so interested in it. Yeah. And one or other of you would sort of make your excuses and nip to the loo at that point and scribble, in the days before Google Docs, you would scribble into your notepad and hope that you could still read it later. Um, the red wine has just arrived, so that's excellent news all that. Cheers. Cheers. That'll do nicely. Well, this day, I'm Contrast not... that with, with modern... I, mean, I, I remember when I was um, doing some interviews um, for one of my books at the Chequers Summit. Um, Jeremy Hunt was then the health secretary. And someone... They, they were sort of stuck in some boring cabinet that had gone on for four hours about Brexit. And someone started passing around Haribo. And when it reached Hunt, who was health secretary and parsimonious about health and all the rest of it, he said, I think I'll have those. And he basically confiscated them. <laughs> No, I should ask you about the book. How is the book? When can people expect to see it in the shops? And how pleased will you be that your entire life being consumed by the ins and outs of Brexit for the last seven years will be at an end? Yes, I'm looking forward to the end of that life. I think it's fair to say. Um, it's, I've got a full draft. It's quite long at the moment. I'm just working in a few extra bits. And then I've got to cut, cut, cut. And I'm hoping it will be in the shops in November, so everybody can buy it for Christmas. And if they don't want to uh, read it, they can use it as... Uh, it'll be very... It'll burn well on a log fire. <laughs> it'll be a good, dense book. You know, you'll get two or three hours of very attractive how, 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 many, how many words are we talking at the moment? Oh, it's, uh, it's less than War and Peace. But not much less at the moment. Put a figure on it. Oh, War and Peace is 570,000 words. Right. So, Mine is uh, a little bit less than that, but wow. uh, it needs to come down considerably. Um, I mean, you're, you are essentially a victim of your own success. The first book, All Out War, which was such a huge hit, I think, because Brexit happened. Britain voted for Brexit. And lots of people who voted Leave or Remain weren't sure how that happened. And you wrote the first definitive account of how that happened. And now, seven years on, you're still... You're still going I'm still at it. Still going. Yeah, I mean, it's taken over. It changed politics, didn't it? It's taken over all our lives to some degree. It's now much more in the background, but I think everything that happened in that period shaped the kind of the relationships within the Conservative Party, which are still impacting on us now. Um, it has, to some degree, shaped the economic um, situation we find ourselves in. They're obviously 
uh, COVID and the war in Ukraine are kind of more immediate causes of that. Um, and I think it's changed sort of how a lot of people see themselves and how they relate to each other. And So what started as a kind of political, you know, just say what happened in the room and I'm trying to, in the conclusion at least, try and draw a bit of a few kind of conclusions about what it all meant as well as what actually happened and how it happened and why, you know, a combination of ideology and people's ambitions all kind of came into this big pot and caused quite so much upheaval. Because you've needed an end point. So the, fir- the, the first one was clearly this is how Brexit happened. The second one was the, the bit in between, and it was what, just after the 2017 election. Yeah, the, most of that book was about the election, and it took us up to the joint report where basically the backstop was created. And the third book begins with the backstop and with Dominic Grieve getting the right to have a meaningful vote. And those two things, frankly, shaped the rest of Theresa May's yeah. premiership for another 18 months. And then, well, then you've had... got Theresa May, Boris Johnson, Liz Truss, Richard Sunak at all. Yeah. It's all in there. But actually, when we get to the end of 2023, that does feel like there's a full stop there if the polls are to be believed and Labour are about to win the next general election when it comes next year. Yeah, and the interesting thing is Labour are, at times, significant players in this, but actually, out of 60-odd chapters, I'd say there are probably four meaningful chapters on the Labour Party. And that shows you... You know, there was a time when there were the cross-party talks. There was a time when they moved towards a referendum. There was briefly the moment where people broke away from the Labour Party and tried to do something differently. But for the most part, they were uh, viewing it like we were. Um, and they looked like they're going to take over. So, yeah, I mean, at the moment, the book ends with Boris Johnson resigning from Parliament. Which looks like a good book end. He's the main kind of character in all senses running through the trilogy. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but the number of endpoints I've had over the years. <laughs> Firstly, it was Theresa May going, then it was the Brexit night, then it was Boris Johnson's Christmas Eve deal, then it was you know, Boris going, then it was Trust going, then it was Rishi's deal, uh, Windsor deal, and now Boris Johnson finally shuffling away. So having watched it all from the sidelines I'll let you eat your last bit of steak and egg having watched it all from the sidelines have you ever thought about entering politics yourself? (laughs) (laughs) No, not because I don't think it's a good thing I think it's a noble calling and I think what I try and do in these books is show that everybody for the most part has a, a good reason to be there and they just sincerely believe different things where they differ is in having any ability to bring those things about. Um, I've got a lot of time for people who go into politics. It's a thankless task. A lot of them get abused now in a way that they didn't 20 years ago. You, you know, back in the day, you could get yourself a safe seat, barely ever turn up to a constituency surgery, have quite a nice life, live in a big house, put some expenses in. Um, maybe become the parliamentary undersecretary of state for paper clips um, and retire with a knighthood and the good wishes of um, your friends and family these days you're going to spend a lot of the time dealing with pretty unpleasant people on social media getting death threats wondering which ones to take seriously doing all that so I've got loads of time for those people but it's just not my skill set um, 
they have to work out what to do and how to do it. I'm quite good at going, well, I wouldn't do it like that. But I'm less good at <laughs> After saying... After the event. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. That was terrific. Wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Well, that was really good. That was really good. No. I might nick a chip. Have a chip. Have a little chip. There's a man approaching with a dessert menu. Well, I mean, it'd be wrong not to. Well, we're here. Thank you very much. Where actually are the... In the very first page. Oh, right. There we are. Oh, there we go. Your classic sticky toffee. Oh, I'm not going to get past blueberry and lime cheesecake, I'm afraid. The trouble with sticky toffee pudding is I would like it... But I will sleep for a week yeah. afterwards. No, I know. Chocolate anglaise, sticky toffee pudding, blueberry and lime cheesecake. Yeah. Peanut butter shortbread. This can help him for spinach. Oh, right. Thank you. Strawberry and basil pavlova or elderflower panna cotta. What would you, what would you, what would you suggest? Everybody oh. always says that. <laughs> is it really good? It's, I mean, according to my It's part, normally the best thing on the menu. sticky toffee connoisseur. This is the best thing Right, on your recommendation, I will have a sticky toffee pudding. Sticky toffee. Okay. I will have the blueberry and lime cheesecake, please. Thank you. It's Tim, as we await dessert there. Um, a sense of anticipation building. Yeah. Um, what does politics look like? As a, How long have you been in the lobby? I have been in the lobby for 22 years. That's much longer than me. Started in 01. No, I started in 2005. I had two years out doing Obama and all that. Oh, yeah. Um, so as, as a watcher of politics over the last 20 years, what does British politics over the next 20 years look like? That's a very interesting question, which I haven't thought about. What does politics look like over the next 20 years? I think it is a little bit more ideological than it was when I first started out, and it'll be interesting to see how the Labour Party manages that versus their sort of technocratic desire to get in and you can see them running quite a lot of the Blair playbook at the moment which is we control the spending we look responsible, we might well match the tourist spending plans but underneath it a lot of the ideas are things that are a little bit more radical than you would probably have seen Tony Blair attempt and I think Brexit itself has been a kind of cultural dividing line for the nation and I think it's not about Brexit, but it's what it signifies, how you voted. And I think that tells you a lot about where people are coming from. And I think it's made people more confident about striking ideological poses. Social media has added to the sort of intensity of people's political feelings. And I think it will require politicians who are more sophisticated and more deft at handling all that. Have an interest in... Hang on a minute, Tim. Our pudding has arrived. Oh. Stick it up, your pudding. Look at that. That's that his, that looks as dense as I was expecting. Oh, that's a nice amount of uh, gun content. Thank you very much. Well. Thank you. Um, my uh, second of pudding has arrived, surrounded by a sauce which I'll describe as the colour of gravy. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the sticky toppings. Yeah. 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 Just in case it is too rich. Yeah. Well You've bought me a second pudding. A second After pudding. all that talk go. of two dinners. Surely two puddings. There we go. That's a raspberry panna cotta. Look at that. That's two puddings. Thank you very much. That's going to become a thing. Yeah, he's, a, he's ruined my reputation as a health fitness addict. I was unaware of that reputation. Oh, well, I'm very big on TikTok. 
doing handstands on TikTok. Bravo. <laughs> Tim, we should finish with, how do you finish your lunch? How do you... When you've taken a senior cabinet minister out, what's the best way that a lunch can end? Uh, the best way a lunch can end is if you sort of just clarify what you think you've learnt and they will sort of say, yes, you can have that story, you can have that story, well, give me six weeks on that one and then sort of nail it all down, seal the deal in blood, as it were. Most people don't have pudding like we've had pudding but I do remember one occasion where a still serving member of the cabinet arrived ate a starter a main then a pudding and then I nipped to the loo and came back to discover that she'd ordered cheese as well and this minister did not even touch the cheese she then demanded a doggy bag and took the cheese back to the House of Commons to eat in her office and that is easily the most the, the lunch in terms of you know girth of food <laughs> that came closest to the one we've just had I would say well um, I don't think I can beat the cabinet minister and her bag of cheese so on uh, on that note uh, Tim Shipman um, thank you for finally settling the the debt your bet the Boris the Johnson of the bet the debt of the bet the Boris Johnson would not be mentioned at uh, PMQs and thank you for talking me through the art of the political lunch um, so I'm going to get stuck back into my sticky toffee pudding before it's all over Tim Shipman thank you very much for joining me for lunch you're very good help Obviously, you can read Tim every week in the Sunday Times, and he joins me for PMQs Unpacked every Wednesday, right here on Politics Without the Boring Bits. For now, from me, Matt Jolly, it's goodbye. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.